later on this episode. Regrets aren't built on things that people that that, that people tried sales, things they never did. Sure. And and there's an awful lot of people out there that that I wish I had expressed gratitude to, and it just changes your attitude and you know makes you feel good. So it's one of those positive things to do. Uh, doesn't sound really important, but it could be one of those days where you're happy when you said that you might do that and hit the right person. You know. This is At The Podium with Manuela Mesqua, a podcast featuring interviews with top performers in sports, business, and entertainment to uncover the stories, lessons, and disciplines of the top 1%. Ladies and gentlemen. And now here's your host, CEO and entrepreneur, Manuela Mesqua. Welcome to another conversation at the podium. This is where we have discussions with some of the most sought after experts in sports, business, and life in general. Today, we're going to discuss a little bit of wins, losses, and lessons along the way with one of the most recognized inspirational speakers in our great country. Joe Jordan is a behavior finance expert the award-winning author of Living a Life of Significance, which, mind you, mind you, he donates all his fees to charity. If that tells you a little bit about Joe Jordan, if you've not had the privilege and the blessing to meet him, he's a retired executive from the financial services industry, started the old school way with no clients, and I bet some sort of phone that was attached to a wall or a desk somewhere. Joe Jordan has not only become a friend, but my entire 20 year career. He's a man I've watched up close and afar. He's a mentor and he is one of the industry industry greats of all time. Joe, thanks so much for being with us today. It's great to be with you, Manny. Thanks for having me. I, I wanted to kick off by just sharing a quote I found online. Uh, regarding the book, I, I want to just make certain that, hey, if if you've not read Living a Life of Significance by Joe Jordan, it's worth the read. It's one of those books you can pick up and take on a four-hour flight out west if you're from the east side um, or on a quick weekend trip and you're not going to set the book down. I read this quote when I was doing a little bit of due diligence to just refresh myself on where you are with the book. But they said, living a life of significance, intrinsic value is not measured by how much money you make, but by the size of the problem you solve. And as a financial professional, Joe Jordan believes you are the modern day hero. Joe, let's start off by unpacking that a little bit. Sure, uh, I, I'll give you the background to it. I mean, as you know, I had a, a varied career. I, I was a life agent. I ran insurance sales at Payne Weber, and for the young people out there, that was a it's like a small Merrill Lynch. It was a wirehouse on Wall Street. Okay, and in the eighties, baby, it was different. And then uh, I went to MetLife, and I built their annuity business, and then little retail product development started their fee-based planning. And uh, uh, so I've watched the evolution of the business that went from just strict selling very big product orientation. Everyone had their turf and that's what they did. Insurance people did insurance, brokers did stocks and bonds, banks did banking. And then what was starting to happen, all of it was getting mixed around. 
everyone was doing everybody's stuff or trying to. But the impetus was only on the idea. The only reason people were doing it was to was to uh, uh, diversify their revenue stream. It had nothing to do with clients. And uh, I so my observation was that financial services as a whole is not very client centric, and I always felt that that would be a problem to us. Where do you think DOL came from and all of this other stuff? I mean, the trusting relationships weren't there. And then I bumped into a, uh, um, a, a, a survey, Gallup survey, and it, and, it, and it took a look at different, different professions by believability and uh, 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 ethics. And the only ones below us were Congress and car salesmen. Now, that's a problem. And, uh, you know, so that's where it was. And you, you, know, you know what the number one profession was? It was no. it was nurses, nurses, not doctors. Some people wow. say doctors, nurses. Now that's 2012, so you can imagine what it's like now. Okay, so I said that's got to be a bend to go towards. So what I tried to do in life, living a life of significance, is that's what we do, and we don't spend enough time on it. Look, everyone's got to know the stuff and how it was and techniques, and they got to know all of that stuff. But we don't promote the idea of the complete positive impact that we have with people. And, and, and so I came to the conclusion that the business is not a story of numbers, and that's what it's turned into in our business. It's a number of stories. And, and, and that's the connection in terms of people being able to make a connection. So that's what I saw. And, and a more recent revelation to me is, guess what? Clients want to live a significant life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so here, here, here's the, now, that doesn't sound terribly profound, but I'm a little slow, okay? So it took a while. And um, there's a great quote from one of the astronauts. He said, if you think going to the moon is hard, try staying home. So we're always dealing with people's numbers. But we're not dealing with the life changes that they have to begin to find out about. And uh, that's a pretty, you know, precarious role that people have to play. I mean, you know, what happens if you're you used to be in who's who and now people say, who is that? You know, um, and and. Uh, 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 everyone thinks it's going to be this wonderful, you know, uh, uh, fun time, you know, and uh, pleasure can't be sustained beyond the activity supporting it, but living a significant life can. So I think what's going to happen to the business is that where we're going to, because look, all of the products are commoditized at this stage of the game. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a race to the bottom when you're dealing with numbers. McKinsey recently came out as a 2020 uh, uh, report. It said in 10 years, advisors will gradually shed their role as an investment managers and become more like integrated wealth coaches. So it's the idea that where I see it going is it went from strictly selling a product and there was a winner and loser to the idea of planning, but it was very left brain analytically and numbers oriented to the idea of really creating very tight relationships and people will pay more for that. Okay. You will have margins on that. And so, um, look, the most successful people in our business operate that way anyway. So that's, that's kind of the, 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 the path I'm on, and those are some of the things that I'm pursuing now. Yeah, so, so uh, take us back. The idea of the book first came to you when? And what do you think it was? You know, I've, I've, I've listened to you speak about your childhood a number of times. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just such a story. And I think when I didn't know you well, I thought, boy, maybe his childhood had a lot to do with why he wrote this book. Tell us about when the idea for the book first came about. And can you kind of connect that 
to the childhood you had and, and some of those meaningful things that happened along the way? Yeah, well, um, two things happened. One was uh, um, uh, I, I, when I saw that, that, that survey, I said, we got a real problem here and we've got to really talk about and express it. And, and it was around the time I was coming to grips with my own family situation. My father was killed in a car accident very young. He was an advisor to Harry Truman. In fact, I have to say it, my new show, we found on YouTube Harry Truman receiving the uh, Democratic Convention at the Democrat, the, the, uh, the, the, he, was, he was running for president, the Democrats gave him the nomination. That's the word I was looking for. My father's sitting right behind him, and he must have been sitting on four phone books because for some reason he was up there. And on top of that, now with the YouTube, I can actually, I never saw him move. I had pictures of him, you know what I mean? So, so the point I'm getting at is that my family, my mother had three kids by that time. I showed up in 51. He got killed in, in uh, 52. And uh, so back then when he was sitting there behind the president, he was a power player in democratic politics. The future looked very bright. It looked like she would be living a very pleasant, connected, you know, White House fatigue and all of this other stuff. And it was gone. And, and then she had to go out and find a job. So think of all the little things, okay? You can imagine what she looked like in 1952 and the clothes she had showing up as a secretary at the bartender's local. So she'd get it, oh, who's this one think she is? You know, all those little slices, you know? We had, <coughs> we had relatives, all of them with money, say, why don't you come up and get on the yacht? We didn't have a car, okay? So they would never think of that, that people didn't have a car. So it's all those little things, and then she had to go out and do that. So I just, I just kept going and I didn't think too much of it. It wasn't until I was in my 50s that I came to grips with what the business was about. My, my, in the story, my father, he canceled a $100,000 New York life policy, okay? Six months before he died, he wanted to buy an apartment building. Do you know what the hell a $100,000 was in 52? Okay, you could buy a kick-ass house for like $8,000. I mean, you know, yeah. the real McCoy. Probably sell it for a quarter of a million in the 80s when the... Our lives would have been radically different. And that's the thing that really started to come, you know, come together for me. It came together for me when I spoke on the main platform of MDRT. And that's when the business came back. And I said, how lives would have been different. My two sisters could not go to college because they were older and they had to work to make sure the boys went to college. So think about that. It's really not, it's, that's why it's a story of numbers. It's not a story of numbers. It's the number of stories. Now that has impact. And I'll tell you, I just I just did a big meeting for Ameriprise, you know, heavy duty financial, you know, financial planning stuff and investment stuff. You know what happens? I get five or six people coming up and telling me their story. You know, their mom died, their son got killed. Blah, 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 blah. And that's that's the thing that I'm trying to bring to the business is the humanity side of it. And sometimes we think we're there and we're not. So, I mean, sometimes people think I'm the industry chaplain, you know, but uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I would just get to this. Look, the, the biggest issue we face, the business is built on two principles, right? Prospecting and everything else. And right? everything else. And, 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 you know, <laughs> that's why everyone gets invited to meetings. Why? Because they think you're good looking or something like that? No, because you're supposedly in front of people and, and you have to face that rejection. So I believe deep down inside, that's got to be ingrained in you, not just the money you're making. I know that's hard for someone just starting out, but to know that you can do something of a positive impact. And let me tell you something. If you have that in your heart, people begin to see it. And 
I don't, yes, I do. don't think it's going to, you talk to anyone who's really made it and that's what they'll tell you. The things that are invaluable to people are the relationships and that's been exacerbated by this isolation that we've had with the, with the COVID stuff, you know, there, there's a, there, there's a guy, I, I'll just say one more thing and I'll shut up. I'll let you ask the question because this was important. There's a guy from National Geographic and, and he studies cultures that live longer. And you know what he said? He said that isolation kills. And, uh, uh, you know, the communities that live longer are always together and what have you. And then on top of that, you have, you have this, this uh, uh, social media stuff, you know. They said you'll never be alone. How the hell can you figure stuff out if you're never alone? You have all of this distraction all the time. Uh, there was a survey done and Yale did it. They said the more people use Facebook, the worse they feel. Um, because uh, nobody posts the truth. And, uh, and there you go. So anyway, that, that's my rant. <laughs> So you mentioned relationships and the significance of those. I, I've mm-hmm. always wondered uh, when I'm in conversation with folks at your level of success within any industry and especially in life, but what, what was some of the best advice you got early on in your career, whether it was when you were running sales at Payne Weber um, or, or even when you moved on uh, to your executive role with MetLife, what's the best advice you've received throughout your career? And is it still relevant in today's world? Yes. It's, it, the, the most important thing I think I learned was simplicity. Okay. And, and I think, you know, we have too much jargon. Part of that is compliance. I understand. And that it's mean as well as well-meaning, but it sometimes gets in the way of people beginning to comprehend and understand. One of the biggest things that happened to me, I was, I was supposed to introduce MetLife to financial planning. I didn't know anything about it, you know? So, uh, uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, fake it to you, make it, right? So, um, uh, I, I called Nick Murray, you know, because I heard about him, you know? So Love him. his first talk, yeah, his first talk, he got up. Oh yeah. He's a, he's a great guy. He's really had an impact on my life. Was scary guy. Scary. You know? So, um, he, uh, uh, he gets up and I'm, I'm ready to hear all the charts and graphs and all this other stuff like that. He's talking about, it's all about behavior. And I said, what? And he's right. It's all about behavior. And you know, um, everyone talks about fees and all of this other stuff. Look, a well-timed intervention can be worth a decade's worth of fees and it's happening right now. Okay. Yes. You see where the market's going at this time, the, the market's down, we're in bad territory. No one thought it would happen. And, and, and it's really about managing somebody's behavior. Those are the roles that we play as the emotional connection. If you have none, you might as well be a robot. And so that's something that I think, because, and the world is changing towards that. The value added that you bring, just as McKinsey said, would be your relationship and, and, and almost getting to the point of where you're like a life coach. Let, let me pivot a little bit. I, I, uh, I believe you would agree. And, and obviously there's a lot of information out there saying that, you know, our industry has, has a shortage of, of qualified uh, people for financial services, right? It almost seems as if it's becoming more and more difficult to attract the right talent uh, to live a life of servant leadership and helping people make good decisions with money so that they can win in life. Talk to me about a few industries that you would say, these are industries that are training and developing good people the right way. Uh, um, and 
and could be good career candidates for a career in financial services? Well, um, I, I, I've recently, you know, again, as, as expansive as my experience has been, it's been kind of isolated to the financial services thing. The one thing that I found interesting, I'm starting to talk with banks and banks seem to be very client oriented, you know, and, and it was interesting to watch because they, there was always a difficult culture merge, you know, the sales culture and the, and the service culture. And, um, and so that's been a very difficult thing. But if I had to look at it foundationally, what I found with banks for the most part, they tend to be very client centric. Um, you know, that's what I've seen there. Um, uh, I, I'm not as sophisticated seeing a lot of other industries that were there. So that's firsthand knowledge of looking at it. You know, uh, that's why sometimes I'm, I'm used by them because, um, my stuff tends to be more client centric, you know, again, it's, yeah. back, it's back to the industry chaplain, but, but I, I think that's the foundational pieces that have to fundamentally change here. And I think we have to advertise it that way too, to, to people coming, especially younger people coming into the, you know, coming into the business in terms of what it means. You know, if, 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 if that guy from New York life that caught that hounded my father and that thing came in force, our lives would have been radically different. And, and, and so how many, how many times is that repeated, you know, right. or, or, the, or the ability to tell people, look, I know the market's down 57%, but don't get out, you know, don't do that. And, and, and so it's, it's, it's those types of things. And I don't think we advertise that enough. And that's because we're still into the money you make or whatever. So we, we attract the wrong people and, and, and the behaviors there. So, so I, I don't know many other industries, but I would say I was stunned by the way the banking industry in terms of my sense of that culture was there. So maybe that's helpful. No, that's great. That's super helpful to talk to share with our listeners. You know, we have, we, we, we have a strong following of people in, in sales careers, if you will, across many different industries, maybe share with some of our listeners, what are some of the most basic characteristics or core values that if you were starting uh, an organization in our field today, these are some of the characteristics and core values that you would not compromise and expect from your people? Well, I, I, again, I think that you have to, you know, make certain people know this is all about prospecting and getting in front of people and that there's a lot of negativity that's associated with it. And so you have to have a system and a process, you know, my, the one I, and, and that's important because, you know, um, uh, uh, the systems really drive a business, but people drive the systems and yes. you have to get into a system and do that. And, 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 and mine was the daily contact commitment. I, I didn't make it up. My manager made me do it in 1974. I had to ask 10 people a day to see me, you know, and I was a bitch and he checked the names, you know, um, uh, and, and, you know, you've been, you've been calling Dr. Rabinowitz for six months. Maybe you should drop it by now. You know? So, so, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. Yeah. I mean, I think I found in, um, in the 20 years that I've been doing this, I think I found that, um, my lowest lows around activity in adding value to clients has often been at a time where I've got a really significant amount of self-defeating thinking going on in my mind. And it's just, you know, I'm just not winning the war in my mind first. And because I'm not doing that, you know, what was one, what was a great system six months ago, it now sucks because I'm executing without belief. What? It's like, it's like, I'm happy when I'm sad, you know, and, yeah. um, uh, and, and that's, you know, and, and, 
and look, I get there too. And, and then you, you just have to catch yourself, you know. So if you don't have anything to fall back on, you know, other than the pretense or other than, oh, and now you have this great escape. Let me see what's on LinkedIn. Uh, or yes. someone, you know, so yeah, this, this, this thing's turned into a distraction and it's not healthy for human beings and, uh, you know, use it for, for what it can do. But that's, that's, that's where I think we, we have a, a competitive advantage. People want to have a community. Okay. They feel good about, you know, being sitting down and meeting with people. That that's something that outside of our business. And I really try to preach that Although people sometimes don't feel it. But but um, um, uh, that's what, that, that's the way we're designed, and that's another competitive thing that I think we have. What's been um, what's been one of you? I mean, you've traveled the world speaking uh, within the industry. What's been one of your favorite places uh, to visit and groups to speak in front of, and why? Mm-hmm. Hong Kong is a blast. Okay, <laughs> or it was anyway. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there now. Um, uh, the Philippines was great. Um, uh, I like the UK. Um, the, the thing that I see is when I talk to stories or like my personal story, or I have, I also have in my talk a link that if people hit it, I send them two stories a month for six months free. Hmm. And I'm doing that because I'm trying to change the orientation. The stories are the universal language. Everybody can connect with that. And, um, uh, you know, I've seen it at MDRT because I did a lot of speaking for MDRT overseas. And sometimes you get people and they're just locked into the U.S., meaning they're even quoting IRAs and stuff like that. They can't get it. You know, most of my stuff, with the exception of the things that are specific to the U.S., resonates. And it even overcomes language barriers, you know, because they can, they can sense the emotion and they can feel it. Look, there was a study done in North Carolina. People remember 6% of what you said and 100% of how you made them feel. And, and, and one of the best ways to get into the feeling mode with someone are stories. And so I know it's difficult to integrate in and people have to kind of do it themselves, but having a ton of stories helps you to get there. Where are you drawing your inspiration from today now? Um, every now and then I get some people who just Knock me out, okay. I got back from I, I, I got back from a big trip, and I got a call and it's a Friday, and a guy calls me up and says, uh, um, he heard me speak six years ago. He said it changed his life, and uh, he was attributing success his most success to me. And I've gotten calls like that before, but this guy does something different. There's a thing called Gratitude Fridays. I mentioned that in my last talk with you guys. Right? Every yes. Friday he calls someone and expresses gratitude. I absolutely freaked out. I just freaked out. And and so I've been doing it. So let me give some advice. If you want to really feel human and connected, take the time. Gratitude Fridays. Write them out well before. Don't wake up Friday morning going, who am I going to call now? You know? um, and, and figure it out. You know, some people take it. Some people can't talk. They don't. They don't. They can't believe they just got the phone call. And a lot of people say it's the nicest thing that's ever happened to me in a long time. And, um, I think that's, that helps raise a positive attitude. The other thing, look, I'm 70 years old now. There's a lot of people on this planet who I never expressed gratitude to, and that's a regret. And, and you know, most people, regrets aren't built on things that people, that, that uh, people tried and failed, things they never did. Sure. And, and there's an awful lot of people out there 
that that I wish I had expressed gratitude to. And it just changes your attitude and, you know, makes you feel good. So it's one of those positive things to do. It uh, doesn't sound really important, but it could be one of those days where you're happy when you're sad that you might do that and hit the right person, you know? And uh, yeah. look, in a year, you hit 52 people. It's 522, right, in, in a decade. And we just finished a decade not too long ago. So so um, that's another little thing that I think helps. Yeah, what what a what a great uh, takeaway. And it was on my list of things I wanted to touch base with you on because I noticed from listening to you speak and the clips that I see online from time to time, uh, gratitude is is intentionally woven into almost every talk you give, no matter what the topic has been. Right. Where, well, where, gratitude gets you out of, out, out, out of yourself, right? That's what gratitude does, you know? And um, uh, 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 it gets you, gets you to not just think, be thinking about you and that it, uh, it puts you on a more positive footing. And, uh, and believe me, people, you know, people respond to it. And here's the other thing about it. Gratitude is a choice. It's not a skill. Yes. So you don't have to learn it. Yes. You can do it tomorrow. And then getting back to the idea of system, gratitude. Look, do I care if you make it gratitude Thursday? Go ahead. All right. But whenever you do something, it's got to be something that's repeatable. And it's also good that you can go to someone who, uh, who, who uh, oversees it. And you can tell them, who, you know, who did you speak to today? You can tell them that. So. Anyway, I, I think that it's a run a small secret. A lot of people just go through one ear and out the other. I think it's a very easy thing to do and powerful. Yeah, I love that. And so normally at the beginning of the conversations, I would have started with a few of the basic questions I always ask our guests. I want to do a little mm -hmm. rapid fire with you as we come up on our time together today, if you don't mind. So humor me. Mm -hmm. uh, Favorite childhood superhero? Oh wow! <laughs> um, uh, I I I would say it was Green Lantern. Why that was the case, I don't know. Maybe I liked his outfit or what have you. You know, instead of Superman or Batman, but I don't know. Green Lantern seemed to turn me on for some reason. I love it. What What's your favorite color? My favorite color is orange. Uh, a story behind that. There is no story. I just like orange. Love it. I, I, I don't, I, I don't know why. Favorite afternoon snack. Oh, Kit Kats. <laughs> I mean, I've done like a hundred of these. That's never been brought up. I love it. <laughs> Last one. Favorite musician or record or song. Oh, favorite musician, record or song. Um, I guess Tiny Dancer from uh, Elton John. For some reason, I fixated on that. I've always, my, my favorite quote from you is the one about prospecting and everything else. I don't know why. <laughs> I just, every time I've heard you say that, I just laugh that the two most important things we can all do is prospect and then everything else. Any last right. piece of advice you have on prospecting? Well, again, it's just a question of setting up the right process that's there. I'm not a social media expert, so I can't tell you how to use LinkedIn effectively or what have you, you know, so I, I can't do that. You just have to have some form of a system to make certain that it happens and it's repeatable. 
and you do it and you make up for when you don't do what you were supposed to do. And uh, 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 again, people calls, oh, that's all. Well, you can go out and, and walk into stores or, or you, you try to put yourself into um, uh, meetings that you, you get to meet a lot of people. So I think that's, that's the core issue, which is the idea of prospecting and everything else. Um, we put a lot of emphasis on everything else. And again, people remember 6% of what you tell them and 100% of how you made them feel. I love it, folks. You heard it here first. It's not the story of numbers. It's the number of stories. The two most important things we can do in sales is prospect and then everything else. And if we're going to prospect, let's have great systems ran by great people. Joe Jordan, one of the most inspirational speakers of my lifetime, author, living a life of significance. And don't forget this last one. Living a life of significance, intrinsic value is not measured by how much money you make, but by the size of the problem you solve. And our professional, our profession is still considered one of the greatest modern day hero occupations that exist. It's always awesome being with you. It's a pleasure. It's a privilege. And uh, thanks for being a friend and mentor. Thank you, Mike.